Welcome to Angels and Seerstones. I'm Christine. And I'm Chris. This episode is a follow-up to our first episode in which we talked about missionary supernatural assault narratives. Today we'll discuss how, as folklorists and believers, we interpret these experiences. We will share the stories of a few listeners and ask the question, could Joseph Smith have experienced sleep paralysis when he encountered the devil in the sacred grove? Latter-day Saints are a people of radical faith. We are a unique body of Bible-believing Christians. For us, the scriptural canon has been opened. The traditional sacraments have expanded. Our beliefs and practices are steeped in universalism, esotericism, and apocalypticism. The Latter-day Saint tradition is a religion in which angels visit everyday people, and sometimes men and women see the divine in stones. In this podcast, we examine lived religion of Latter-day Saints, the stories we tell, and the beliefs we debate. We take seriously the whole gambit of Latter-day Saint experience. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Angels and Seer Stories. We received a lot of correspondence on our first episode of the podcast, questions about sleep paralysis, personal stories, and so on. This is obviously a topic that our listeners seem eager to discuss, and we want to go into it in more depth today. I want to start out this episode with a letter from a friend and listener, William Perez. Will is a PhD candidate in the same religion program I attended at Florida State University, and he just began his tenure as the Institute Director in Tallahassee. I'm enjoying the Angels and Searstones podcast. Humor me on this if you can. I totally agree on the sleep paralysis thing and have experienced it. But so are you saying that this answers all such claims to supernatural forces and that you don't think missionaries have ever actually encountered demons? Or are you simply offering one possible explanation that accounts for a lot of the folklore? Just curious. So I get where Will is coming from. Sometimes it appears that scholars are dismissing a phenomenon by naming it. Folklorist David Hufford didn't think he was doing that in his book, The Terror That Comes in the Night. He was acknowledging a global phenomenon of supernatural assault and was interested in exploring how different cultures interpreted such events. His work fits into other scholarship on near-death experience and supernatural encounters with deceased loved ones. You know, a great book on encounters with deceased loved ones is by Gillian Bennett. It's called Alas, Poor Ghost. One of my favorites. But my point, or Hufford's point, is that all these experiences were once treated as pathological. Someone was crazy if they claimed they saw a dead spouse. Crazy if they claimed they'd had sleep paralysis and saw an evil spirit. So he wanted to show how common these events really were within the broader public. It's true. Hufford doesn't say that these are supernatural events, of course, but he also doesn't say that they aren't. Instead, he suggests that sleep paralysis is a widespread event that is being interpreted through unique cultural and religious lenses. So while some Newfies interpret sleep paralysis as the old hag, Latter-day Saints are interpreting their own unique, you know, this in their own unique way. The event is physiological, but people report the experience in a number of different ways. Some people report a witch straddling their chest, a black dog holding them down, or a demon trying to choke them. And I guess we should mention that Hufford was the chair of medical humanities and a professor in uh, of neurobehavioral sciences and family medicine at Penn State University. So he spent his entire career thinking about the type of experiential belief that we're addressing here today. And his goal was never to debunk. Now, Christine, I think spiritual experiences can be messy. I think sometimes these experiences originate in a person's own psyche, but I think sometimes they are supernatural. In this podcast, we are pretty open with our faith. So while I wouldn't say this in the classroom of a public university, 
I think there are evil spirits, and I think missionaries encounter demons. I don't place my faith in any specific stories about the supernatural, at least those outside of canon or personal experience, but I do think that human beings interact with spirits, good spirits and bad ones too. By the time someone verbalizes their personal experiences, we've already lost access to the original event, but that's not what we're interested in as folklorists. What we're interested in is how Latter-day Saints interpret and describe their personal experiences. So let's get back to that. We have two stories we want to share with our listeners today. The first is a story from a BYU student, a 20-something-year-old who recently completed a full-time mission. And the second is from a listener who asked to remain anonymous. Both of these stories show how unique sleep paralysis can be from one person to the next, but also how shared beliefs can offer a similar lens from which these stories are interpreted. Let's start with the anonymous listener. Just wanted to thank you and Professor Christine Blythe for the very interesting and fun podcast. It really resonated with me, as I also had a sleep paralysis experience on my mission. I woke up to my bed bouncing up and down. Thinking it was my trainee playing a prank, I went to turn around but couldn't move. I then heard multiple men and women cackling. My body was released and I was able to move again told my companion what happened, who thought I was making it up, till the next night it happened to him. It continued to happen to both of us for some time, and even while fully awake. For example, one of us would be lying in bed, fully awake, when we would all of a sudden hear a loud whooshing flood our ears, and our bodies would slowly start to freeze up, starting from our feet all the way up to our head. We would then be frozen for several minutes before we were able to move again. It has been several years since I have had an episode, but one of the last ones that occurred was when I was newly married. I woke up not being able to move, and my wife absolutely terrified trying to wake me up because there was a bald gray face staring at her from a mirror next to our bed. I have read many scientific explanations for sleep paralysis, but it was a trip, that's for sure. This story echoes back to our earlier episode on supernatural assault narratives among Latter-day Saint missionaries, and of course, this is what the listener is responding to. The idea being that there are evil forces eager to stifle the work of God And not surprisingly, missions often seem to be the backdrop to these stories. The communal experience is certainly noteworthy. Others experience or see the evil spirit for themselves. Here's another story from that recently returned missionary. I was serving my mission in England, Leeds. During my training, I was under a lot of stress because I was so new to the missionary life. And I was helping the mission office during the first lockdown of COVID-19. I was sleeping one night, and I've always heard about sleep paralysis, but it had never happened to me. But I was sleeping, then I kind of woke up a bit and heard my companion say, Do you know what hope is? I tried to respond, but realized I was incapable of doing so. Then my companion started to recite a scripture found in Doctrine and Covenants. Faith, hope, and charity with an eye single to the glory of God. As she was reciting this scripture, I saw her crawling towards me in a demonic way. I thought to myself, She doesn't realize I'm here. When she realizes I'm here, she'll stop and go back to bed. I tried calling out to her and let her know I was there. That's when I realized I couldn't move as well. I couldn't speak and I couldn't move. I was freaked out. I didn't know what to do. As my companion got closer, she started to turn into a humanoid dark figure with a weird mask on. It straddled me and I felt like my chest had sunk to the floor. At that moment, I knew what hell felt like. I knew what it felt like to not have the influence of the Holy Ghost. I kept trying to call out because I somehow knew that if I could yell, it would leave. Finally, after a lot of effort, I got a little gasp out and it vanished. I was still so scared, and every time I closed my eyes, I could still see the humanoid figure. 
I said a prayer and put on some quiet, peaceful music. As I did that, I heard a voice in my ear. Fear not, I am here. I knew that was Christ, and I knew I was safe. I was able to fall back asleep after that. The next Monday, I told my parents about what happened, and my mom suggested I cast out any demons that may be in my room. So that night, while I was saying my prayers, I cast out the demon. I don't know if I did it correctly or even if it was valid because I'm not a priesthood holder, but I think Christ gave me the benefit of the doubt because I never had an experience like that again in that room. That's wild. You know, when I was 21 and preparing to serve a mission, I had sleep paralysis nearly every Sunday afternoon. At the time, I was working two jobs to save up for my mission, one that required me to wake up around 4.30 in the morning to get to work by 6 a.m. I was exhausted on the Sabbath, and I would take a you know mid-afternoon nap. And I can recall falling asleep on my couch in the living room of my apartment and just being you know dead tired. Uh, and at some hour, I would awake, but my body would not come to. I could hear my roommate making her way through the living room. Sometimes I could even see her, but my body was in complete paralysis. It was truly terrifying. I mean it. Uh, but I never experienced the old hag. I cannot even begin to imagine how scary it would be to see a slow crawling demon approach your bedside or hear hellish cackling in the room. I was clearly one of the lucky ones. I imagine it would be awful. Hufford says people report this as being one of the most terrifying experiences of their lives. You know, I think it's really interesting that the first story seems to share features with Joseph Smith's experience in the Grove. That stifled effort to pray is very common. Then pleading in prayer or casting out the evil spirit is a recurring motif. Before we go on, I imagine some listeners will want to think more about this returned missionary's concern that she might not have the authority to cast out an evil spirit. I think there are reasons to think this is a priesthood right. That is exorcism. Since the gospels specifically state that Jesus gives his apostles the authority to cast out evil spirits. However, speaking as a Latter-day Saint, I suspect that this authority is imparted in the endowment. In other words, I think you did the right thing. I think that's right. Now let's listen to Joseph's account of his encounter in the sacred grove. This is, of course, from what we call the first vision. So in accordance with this, my determination to ask God I retired to the woods to make the attempt. It was on the morning of a beautiful, clear day, early in the spring of 1820. It was the first time in my life that I had made such an attempt, for amidst all my anxieties, I had never as yet made the attempt to pray vocally. After I had retired to the place where I had previously designed to go, having looked around me and finding myself alone, I, kneeled down, began to offer up the desires of my heart to God. I had scarcely done so when immediately I was seized upon by some power which entirely overcame me and had such an astonishing influence over me as to bind my tongue so that I could not speak. Thick darkness gathered round me, and it seemed to me for a time as if I was doomed to a sudden destruction. But exerting all my powers to call upon God to deliver me out of the power of this enemy which had seized upon me, at the very moment I was ready to sink into despair, and abandoned myself to destruction, not to an imaginary ruin, but to the power of some actual being from the unseen world, who had such marvelous power as I had never before felt in, in any being. Just at this moment of great alarm, I saw a pillar of light exactly over my head, above the brightness of the sun, which descended gradually until it fell upon me. We all know this story, right? It's the bedrock to our unique brand of Christianity. This is the story we often tell as Joseph's prophetic call, comparable to the biblical stories of Moses or of Isaiah. 
The idea that we can speak to God and that God will speak to us is a foundational teaching of the faith. And Latter-day Saints often think that when we seek to do God's will, or even just pray, like in these stories, Satan will try and stop us. Yes. And as you all know, I'm a convert to the church. Uh, when I was 18 and accepted the invitation to be baptized, I remember my friend warning me that the weeks leading up to my baptism would be difficult, that Satan would do all he could do to prevent me from making that choice. And if you asked me if it was true, I'd say that it was. Absolutely. Well, let's ask that question. Is this an account of sleep paralysis? There's reason to think it might be, mainly because Joseph writes that following the vision, he found himself on his back, coming to. Was this a dream? To be sure, I don't think it would matter for the faith one way or the other. But this isn't how Joseph tells the story, Chris. He talks about hitting his knees, trying to pray out loud, and then experiencing the supernatural assault. Right. The point I want to make is that sleep paralysis, the sleep paralysis Latter-day Saints often report, certainly seems to mirror this experience. Mm. Unable to speak, feeling bound, sensing an evil spirit, and eventually casting it out through prayer are nearly universal traits in LDS stories of the terror that comes in the night. For me, that places these stories into the same context. When someone tells me a story of the old hag, it immediately draws to mind Joseph's experience in the sacred grove. Thanks for joining us again for Angels and Seer Stones. We'd like to remind you that this month is Ovarian Cancer Awareness Month. If you've lost someone to this beast, like we have, or have a woman in your life that you love, I invite you to look up the symptoms of OC and perhaps make a donation to the cause. You can find out more about it by visiting our Facebook pages. We hope you'll join us next time when we talk about angelic music. See you then. Thanks for hanging with us.